Welcome to The Real Work, a podcast about opening access to career success and workplace belonging for everyone. Presented to you by the team at Lantern Rouge. Through these community conversations, we want to learn and share how careers actually work and how we show up for each other in all manners of professions, unpacking the experiences that shape us and how we can each play a role in designing our future of work. Here is your host, Alex Lamb, an organizational psychologist and the chief executive of Lantern Rouge. Brett Booth is partner and co-founder of Urban Nerds. Nerds was forged in London's East End in 2007, formed around a common goal to champion underground music and culture through a series of warehouse parties, club residencies and festival takeovers that saw the brand break new British talent into crowds of thousands across Europe. In 2013, they officially became a business. Nerds is a go-to youth marketing agency working with global brands such as Beats, Dr. Martens, Converse, and many more. Brett started his career in property and speaks openly about his visions for success during university and the pressure he felt to fit the corporate mould. But his passion for music and creative culture kept coming to the forefront and he evolved his after-hours work into a business. He talks about being true to yourself, how he cultivates empathy as a personal approach to equity, and gave me a great reminder that we shouldn't typecast any generation, but take each individual for themselves, which is really apt as everyone in my world starts talking about Generation Z entering the workforce. Brett is a reflective person and shares his personal journey generously. Enjoy the podcast. Okay. Hi, Brett. It's great to have you. Thanks for joining me. Absolute pleasure, Alex. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So, just having heard your bio, it's really clear that your career has taken some twists and turns. And the more I do these interviews, the more I'm realizing, you know, there's so much um, value and uh, in interesting, you know, insights that come from how you make those decisions. So can you take us back to where you started, where you are now, and just walk us through one, some of those um, some of those highlights? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'll, I'll sort of reference back to sort of the first time we sort of spoke when we kind of really... Mm-hmm this uh this idea of like you know having this conversation and um and i said that i felt that my whilst i know a lot of people have unusual stories um i definitely took a few twists and turns along the way and um and that really kind of connects to my own kind of values kind of shifting at a certain point and um i know we talked a lot about kind of you know being in school and even thinking ahead and having some kind of vision for where you might be in the workplace at some point in the future. And I, and I always had this vision that I, I was going to be, you know, striving to be as rich as possible mm. in the city, wearing a suit, driving a Porsche. You know, that was basically the, the picture of um, success that I, that I subscribed to as a kid. Um, and I guess it's very heavily influenced by my um, experience growing up. You know, I, I was candid about it. You know, I'm a working class kid from London. It's mm. like I had those kinds of values. I had those kinds of visions for doing something better for myself. And that really drove my first set of decisions about where I was going to go next, how I was going to move from education into something. Um, and actually, I guess, um, sort of starting to do fairly well at school or unlocking some kind of recognition in my grades, re- realizing that actually I could do school was quite a big point as well. I think mm. that's a big point for a lot of young people. They, they, you know, school isn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily feel like the pathway. Um, but I started to see that grades were actually kind of like showing me that I, this is something I could, uh, you know, follow. And then the idea of it, um, kind of higher education, um, university came into play because I didn't ever dream of going to university. I never thought mm. that was even for someone like me. So, yeah, getting to a point where I was like, okay, I'm getting grades. I can go to sixth form, as we call it in the UK, you know, what we call college. Um, and then, um, you know, doing okay there and getting enough of a kind of grade, a combined grade um, set that would open up opportunities in university. So I think um, to sort of say that something that boosted my confidence was getting my first choice of university was mm. like quite a big thing. Yeah. And that was, um, it was strange because it wasn't based on the grades. I had grades, but then I had um, a kind of, somehow I, I randomly met someone 
So again, Who talking about the little twist, yeah, little yeah. twists and turns, right? I was studying really hard in my local library and there were some uh, older guys there. And um, during my little break or whatever, they, they said something and it caught my attention. I just sort of, I said, oh, I know, you know something about that. And we started a little conversation. Then I just was saying, well, what are you guys doing? Where are you going? And they told me about university. They told me about where they were studying. And I said, that's really weird. That's basically my first choice. Um, university and uh, the guy I met he just said I what course is it and I told him the course and he said well that's what I'm doing and wow. I know the guy who runs the course and he said what's your name I'll put in a word for you and it was one of those weird things it's like I have no idea if that happened yeah. or if he did anything no one ever told me that this guy came and spoke to him but it might have had an impact yeah because right place right time yeah, it's just one of those one of those things, you know. People do say sometimes it's like who you know, not what you know, and all that kind of thing. So I didn't quite get the full grades I needed, but somehow something else maybe came into play, and I got that opportunity. So yeah, getting that was like quite a big bump of um, confidence, I think. Yeah, it's like sliding um, doors. So you had these kind of symbols of success, and then you were kind of plugging away, like working hard. Obviously, the you know these things don't just happen by you know, they don't fall from the sky. So you're plugging away in the library, but then that kind of threw you into the path of maybe meeting people who, you know, just connected, <laughs> connected some dots for you. Yeah. And I, I think it sort of speaks to a little bit to, to the sort of purpose of these kinds of, um, this kind of podcast is that, mm. you know, we've got different ways of hearing people's stories and different ways of passing on a little bit of um, inspiration or whatever. And, and in that moment, just the fact those guys that were in my local library were doing this thing that I was, I thought was to a certain extent out of my reach, but immediately became slightly more within my reach just by knowing yeah. that there were people just like me, maybe a little bit older um, who were doing that. And I, and I felt so like, it's like okay, role modeling. Yeah, exactly. It's just a simple thing. It just made me feel like this is a bit more closer to real now when you meet someone who's in that situation that you can sort of relate to. Mm. So, um, yeah, that, that was really a, a big point. And I, th I think we sort of spoke about the university piece. It was very much geared towards that original value kind of like position of things, you know, trying to get into the city and um, get into finance and, and kind of um, be part of the sort of, you know, big money culture of things. And, um, you know, it was during that time that I realized that I, there was something else going on for me personally in, in terms of my own character. And I, I kind of, again another sort of wave of confidence in that I, I realized maybe I can um, allow that to come through a little bit more mm. maybe I could find a way to apply that part of me um, to to this journey that I'm on and what and was I, it that you saw coming through like what did you feel bubbling up just a bit more creative I felt like I'm mm. I felt like I'm, a, I'm 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 creative but I'm not allowing myself to be because I've got this strict vision for what I need to be in order to succeed and it was kind of like um, a bit of a constant battle between, you know, I'd love nothing more to be sitting at home and just drawing and just like mm. making up stuff that I, you know, like the look of. But at the same time, I was on this journey of like, I'm trying to get this degree so I can work in the city, so I can be on this trajectory of like high paid job. Financial um, success, yeah. Yeah, so it's just kind of like, how did I, I tried to go on a bit of a, how can I bring those two things maybe a little bit closer together? Mm. And um, I decided that I could, um, I felt like real estate, as you guys call it, or like prop the property industry, as we call it, was a kind of meeting point of the two. It had that financial investment kind of aspect yep. to it, but then it had that kind of tangible creativity and buildings and the built environment. Mm. And, I, and I felt like maybe that's the meeting point that I could um, kind of kind of combine my, you know, my drive and my um, kind of creative interest yeah uh, to to sort of unlock something that i get value uh, get how do you say get um satisfaction from yeah and that kind of then steered my degree choice to want to something more specific i mm -hmm. started to fine tune that towards um yeah this like property real estate finance piece so um, it's actually kind yeah. of lucky that you were going through this journey early on like you're still in your uni days um because obviously a lot of people kind of graduate and then get into a mortgage and get into a family and they've gone down that financial path where they realize you know okay maybe they were chasing it but they're, they're now bedded into <laughs> commitments 
Um, whereas you were kind of like reconciling these things within yourself pretty, pretty early on. So was there anything that was happening at that time that was kind of prompting you to reflect and think through or to observe? Was it really an inner thing or did you hear people outside of you talking about this kind of um, discovery journey as well? I guess it was just exposure really. Yeah. You know, I had my kind of, as I say, my kind of core ingrained kind of value driven idea. And then I was like, I went to school in an environment that was quite liberal, quite progressive, mm. quite quite middle class, you know, and there's a, I was exposed to a lot more kind of, you know, real creativity and, and I'd say that a lot more like confident kids with a lot more of kind of a, uh, an ability to like carve out a, like a niche expression. Mm. And I was kind of interested in that. So it's, again, it comes from that exposure of different worlds, I suppose. Um, and it kind of, it's something that grew with me throughout the whole period. So yeah, but again, it's, yeah. sort of, it's not in my real routine but it's something that I was exposed to and kind of felt naturally aligned with. And it's just the, yeah, the kind of opposing kind of factors yeah. that I'm juggling really. You were finding a way to make it all work. And so with that in mind, like I, there's this huge rising trend of people saying like, I don't buy into the bachelor degree anymore. <laughs> it's just a parking lot where you go to learn some stuff that's not really going to translate to the work afterwards. But your journey was, okay, even if that's not the profession that I'm working in, the period of flourishing for me to, to discover myself and it was a liberal environment where I could express. So do you have any reflections or any advice to people who are thinking about maybe just shooting through the uni experience if they're so privileged to kind of have that? As you said, it's a, it's a pretty big deal to get in. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts about like what you learn what you learn there versus what you grow as? I think there's two ways of looking at it. I think there is really like a functional uh, element where it's like, you know, it could supercharge your trajectory. It could take you into a space in a more deeper way. It could um, give you a, more of a specialism or, um, you know, it can equate to a boost in your pay packet, if you're, if you are coming out of school and just going straight into a job space, you get the graduate boost and then it's like, you know, you can get paid a bit more money. Mm. So it's like, there are functional um, aspects to it, I believe. Um, but then again, for me personally, it's like, there's a lifestyle or a kind of character building aspect to it, you know, meeting all that types of people from around the world. Mm. And we talked about it. It's like, I went into university studying in London in my hometown because I could, I didn't, going to university alone was a big enough step. I didn't have this picture of um, going further afield than that. It was like, that was, that was enough for me. I need to just get yeah, the functional thing, get university yeah. degree. Um, but then in my second year, I went to America. So it's like, I went to University of Illinois and had a year there. And um, it was really there again, where I just met so many different types of people from all around the world. And that immediately kind of just, again, added a whole nother dimension to how I see. Brosia, yeah. Um, how you see yourself in things, right? How you can see more potential futures for yourself in things. So for me, again, it's just about that exposure piece. Um, it, it really shifted the kind of the dial a bit. And, um, and again, I, I, I've kind of had other kind of, um, I guess, confidence kind of building factors that occurred there as well. Just being away from home was a, you know, it sounds m minor to a lot of people, but it's quite a big deal like to, to go sure. to a, to another country and then kind of like make something happen and come back, you know, with success as well, like having achieved again, like more good grades and like all that kind of stuff. And that just feeds into, um, again, like being more confident and cool. I need to make a decision based on where I, what's good for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It gives you more reference points, doesn't it? Like I, I can only encourage people if they're so lucky to go to uni, even if they don't see it directly translating into knowledge that's going to apply on the job. Because you just, like you said, you, you get resilience, you get exposure, you just get more knowledge about how the world works and what you actually want before you launch in and commit to something. But, and so then if you fast forward, like you actually you get home, you go into that property slash real estate sector, um, and then at some stage you, 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 you keep itching this scratch around like going deeper down the creative route. So talk to us about like that next transition phase. Yeah, it kind of was happening. Um in parallel you know the 
uh, I, I guess a lot of people people can probably um, relate to this, but you know, you're kind of like the, the term code switching comes in because actually, you know, as, again, I'm much more um, relaxed in who I am today than I was in that moment because I still felt that there was a going to be stigma around how I spoke, like how I presented myself. Um, you know, not being the full 100% um, kind of, uh, how do you say, like authentic version of that, the property industry graduate entry mm. level person. It's like, you know, I didn't have the right suit. I didn't have the right shoes. You know, all these kind of codes that are kind of mm -hmm. built into, you know, making people know whether they fit in or not. And that was something I had to, again, kind of navigate a little bit. And I drew, I drew down on a bit of my more creative confidence for that because I was almost like, well, I'm not going to compete on the on that I'm going to have to sidestep it slightly I'll conform to the rules but I'll do it do it my own way so I, you know I kind of started expressing myself a little bit in that respect which was quite funny at the time got some did it work comments. like did did it land in terms of clients yeah, I mean I got comments you know okay. you, you get comments about kind of the fact you're not really doing what other people are doing but then I sort of felt well I'm I'm you know I'm doing the rules so like who cares sort of thing so it was a little, and again, it's sort of like it's that's a bit of a, I suppose, part of my character that ha has evolved over time as well. It's just like, you know, I get where the rules are, I get where the barriers are, I get where the guardrails are, but I'm not necessarily that bothered about um, sort of staying within those. So that's yeah. kind of grown over time. And that's, I guess, showing up in more, more my work now than it ever has probably done. Yeah, I think you get that confidence as you get into your character, don't you? I, I think about myself turning up for my first internship at Deutsche Bank with my nose pierced and the looks and the, the social pressure <laughs> that surrounded being in a big bank with a nose ring. And then now I'm like, this stage of my life, I'm like, yeah, you want to say something about I don't have my nose pierced anymore, but someone wanted to say something about it. It, it kind of slips off you a little bit more. But I, I think you've got more credibility in the work that you've done, whereas when you're just turning up, it is you know, that you're fitting into someone else's mould, isn't it? So That's exactly it. Yeah. So yeah, just just back to your point, the sort of you know, I was um doing that day job and kind of code switching into that environment, um, trying to, you know, do certain things with my uh how I appear to um kind of maintain the opportunity to not stick out too much. Um and I know that's something a lot of people have to do or feel that they're doing particularly in your younger years, right? You really feel like you have to do that. Um, and uh, in parallel though, I was kind of exploring, you know, more creative outlets. So my weekends were very much around like um, buying, um, you know, getting music and like sort of running like parties and things like that, getting into like DJing and um, kind of building a bit of a kind of, um, I guess, a community around that kind of thing. And it was, absolute worlds apart from my day day job you know i couldn't go to work on a monday morning and say you know we had 500 people dancing around a club on saturday nights or whatever time you know to a certain type of music because there was no one there that could relate to that and if i spoke about it i'm sure that it would have been assumed that i was therefore connected to like you know drug culture or something like that and that's like not something i really want to um i don't want that to uh feed again a misconception of who i am so I kind of kept it separate, you know. Almost most other living two lives, almost like the weekend you yeah. or the nighttime you and the daytime you. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit like that. But again, I, I I know that I'm not alone in that. It's like a lot of people have to do that still today. So, you know, I empathise with that. Um, and actually, I, I just sort of jumping ahead, it's like, for me, it's so satisfying to be able to provide an environment where people don't have to code switch and actually can just be themselves and actually be confident in their um, their capabilities, their their knowledge and their their true value and not have to package it up in a certain way just to feel like, you know, they can fit in or part. Or, mm, so it's like uh, this idea of bringing your whole self to work or like the language of being authentic is a bit overused now, but it's essentially what you're saying. It's like there's one you <laughs> who, how do you contribute that rather than having a, to shape shift into the culture? Yeah. And I know, I know we're sort of jumping ahead, but you're talking about the sort of like the Gen Z piece. And I feel like generally speaking, that's, that's something that like the Gen Z kind of generation want is to be able to, you know, they're so um, good at crafting their kind of authentic self. Yeah. Whether it's like wholly real or like slightly augmented, they, they've got that kind of authentic self and they want to be able to bring that into the workplace and express that. Um, 
you know, yeah, on their own terms. Um, and I think that's kind of, that, that is a key thing. That's a, that's a key point of understanding and a key challenge really for employers to allow that to happen or to, to, to accommodate for that. And again, like say for us, it's, it's kind of easy because, you know, we have a certain environment with a certain culture, with a certain kind of set of references. And it's like, either you, you know if you fit into that or not, you know, we're not saying that people outside of that aren't welcome, but it's, it's super clear that it has a certain cultural rooting. It has a certain community feel. It has a certain lens on everything. And, um, and again, it's, it's basically saying, yeah, from having to code switch, like that's not what I want anyone to have to do. We should be able to, you know, present to the biggest brands in the world in the biggest like boardrooms of the biggest brands. And I'm still me. And I, and I want like people that are coming up behind us or, or with us to be able to feel confident in like that expression and their kind of then their super personal nuanced expression of themselves. Yeah, no, I like it. And as you said, that brings us up to where you are now with the business that you have. And so how does that land? Like when you're sitting in those boardrooms or you're, you're, you're speaking with those big brands and you're bringing in who you are now, <laughs> what, what does it feel like to be in those rooms? I think it, it comes back to your um, point about kind of the authenticity piece. And again, it is a, you know, it's used a lot. It's thrown mm-hmm. around a lot. And uh, I think a lot of times people use it because it's, it feels like a bit of a buzzword and actually, you know, it might be m- misplaced more times than not. But for us, it's like, ultimately, we work in, in a very um, kind of focused environment. We're not, you know, I'm not trying to, uh kind of sell something that i don't know anything about i'm trying to um help most of our clients to understand a particular audience um a particular mindset um a particular set of values even in certain cases you know is very much about um understanding people so when you walk into the room and you're a type of person that they maybe don't understand then straight away the point is made it's like you need to hear what we're saying because you don't you don't automatically understand who I am as a person where I'm coming from what my perspective is and I represent a hell of a lot of people so it's that idea like our business represents a lot of people who a lot of brands and people in industry have no idea about so again it's that um, bridge to a a blind spot that many industries um, have. Yeah. So you know, again, being someone who comes from a certain background, I'm an authentic bridge to that blind spot, I suppose. Yeah. So sitting in those, I mean, if you were there, anything but yourself, it wouldn't, you know, it's, it's, it's a disservice to the business and to the youth culture that you're representing. And so tell us then obviously about the the business that you're running and, and, and I guess just a, a segue into how you started it as well. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it is rooted in that kind of youth cultural expression of like underground music and, and sort of style really. And um, actually in its first instance, it started by, you know, guys who were creating a club night, running a club night. So I said, I was, I had that experience of like running club nights and whatnot. And there was other club nights and, and these guys had a club night that was particularly um, popular and quite famous. Um, for representing more like underground kind of more london specific um you know youth culture and, and music like you know music in that space and um yeah they were they were known they were well known and um we met after a few years of them being um quite big and quite uh attractive to brands you know nerds was basically an attractive proposition to brands because it had a certain community, it had a certain audience, it represented a certain culture uh, and a certain interesting culture. And um, brands were coming and saying, can you like, you know, can you help us connect with certain audiences? And um, very quickly, you know, the, it, it needed to shift from being a club night or, or being a platform for culture to being um, a kind of almost like an agency that can actually provide a service to brands that to, can connect the culture to brands and you know culture and brands have always 
gone hand in hand and there's always mm. been a kind of interplay between culture and brands and in and it's been facilitated in various ways over time um and for us it was like obviously a, a, a kind of big opportunity to be able to um connect what we were in and passionate about to um the opportunity with brands which means again it goes back to that kind of classic and value proposition of like brands means you can get some money and you can get some money and it means you can potentially grow and be more successful and it means that you kind of you maybe can elevate the status of what it is that you represent or like you know bring bring a bit more uh you know build that platform out even more so um yeah officially I kind of came in more on the agency side when that was kind of taking shape. Um, and I'd already been um, working in the kind of, I guess, the uh, youth media, youth marketing mm-hmm. and media landscape um, with the likes of MTV and, and, and various kind of global brands in that space. And it was just, it was a good fit. Again, it goes back to the idea of what Nerds was about was a more of a, fit to my kind of personal passion than what yeah. MTV was about. So it's like, cool, that makes, this makes sense for me to go into this space because it's again, even an even truer kind of connection to what I'm passionate about. Yeah. And, um, and it's, there's an opportunity to, to, to develop, uh, you know, an, an agency. Yeah. And so if I reflect on that, it sounds like it was an evolution you were doing some experiments with the club nights and the weekend and you knew you were getting energy from that and enjoying it. And then as it started to morph towards this, you know, this club evening, the um, saying an evening probably makes it sound very <laughs> eloquent. That's the wrong word, but this event that, that was being hosted, and, but you were still seeing these elements of like the commercial aspects, which you still had in your, in your roots as well. of like, okay, is this aligned to my creative? Is it aligned to where I get my, my enjoyment and my passion from, but does it still have a business angle to it? And so gradually, gradually, you know, you were talking before about these parallels starting to align. That was the sort of intersection that you finally landed on, but it was through so many different tweaks of the, and, you know, I guess chance encounters too of um, things happening, momentum happening in, in an environment and at a, and a certain point in time. So it's interesting because I know a lot of people who are setting out on their career think that it's going to be so planful, but the more people I speak to, it's like it's iterations on top of, you know, and, and generally you trust and you have to hope that you're navigating in the direction that's right for you. And you called it out of like my values. And of course those shift over time as well, but those things sort of being the guiding decision that keeps you taking the, the step, step, step towards where you are headed. Really interesting. It's cool to hear. And so tell us about like the business now. You've got, you've got a business partner, is that right? Just one other yeah, person? There's, there's, um, there's three of us. Ah. And um, we are on paper, I guess you'd call us a, a marketing agency. But as I said, we have a specialism in um, kind of younger consumer profiles of, of a variety of sorts. But our main kind of proposition really is kind of the connection between um, kind of brands and culture. Yeah. So you know, certain youth cultural expressions and, and brands, um, you know, ultimately the, the, the premise is most people, not just young people, most people have a, um, I guess an identity, uh, that they root in and they filter everything through that identity. You know, it's like if you have, a, excuse me, a certain identity and you're, you know, whatever, thinking about renovating your flat, you know, that identity that you have is going to influence what you choose to how you choose to decorate right so it's that kind of simple thing of like you have a cultural identity that cultural identity becomes a lens on on anything so if brands um you know kind of want to work out how to be relevant then you have to understand what that cultural lens is for different people and you need to show that you kind of are part of that cultural lens um and that's that's a big part of what we do is the sort of culture culture marketing culture strategy yeah um yeah and again it's really just understanding what makes culture tick and what what value what the role of a, of a brand can be what value can a brand really bring to that um and then what people are willing to give back to a brand if they do provide a valuable role and that's that's our main kind of um i guess that's our main area of focus 
And so what do you find yourself doing? Like, it sounds as though you, the genesis of you getting into this space with being in the clubs, like what activities do you still do to stay close and to have that visceral experience of culture yourself so that you can translate it and, and be that, that bridge? Yeah. I mean, for me personally, it's always been music related. So it's just, it just comes through music, connection to music, continuous like exploration and thirst for that, the newness in the music space is just for me is like my, the fast track to, 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 to that. That's it. Um, and obviously around that, then you've got like the sort of style and kind of like creative expression of, of certain movements in music. And again, that immediately informs like visual cultural trends, um, you know, what kind of how people are dressing and all that kind of stuff. So again, for me personally, it's like the music is the sort of fast track to that. Um, and it's personal passion. It's not, it's yeah. not, it's not a job to, to be into that and follow that. So again, it's like turning that passion point into something that's a useful, valuable um, tool in, yeah. in my work. Um, and how's it worked through COVID? Because I can imagine, I mean, obviously music you can have in the pleasure of your own home, <laughs> but at the same time, you're not having those live experiences. So how's, how's that been for you? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, again, for me personally, it's like I'm a very active person in the cultural space. So yeah, it's, it's gigs, it's like um, exhibitions, it's like, um, you know, launch parties for various things. It's like the industry get-togethers, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, none of that's happening, right? So you know, there's the kind of digital uh, alternatives. You know, the odd um, talk or the odd panel engagement here and there. But to be honest, I'm just like holding out for like when it kind of comes real again. And and I and I, and I I'm just doing I'm just doing personally what I can in the background to um, you know support people that are in music 100% because you know, I've been in that creative space where I was not working a full-time job and actually doing creative stuff. And I know what it's like to rely on the money that comes from that stuff. And it's, it's really hard right now. So, you know, if people are putting out, um, you know, independent releases online, it's like, yeah, okay. Every few pounds like spent to sort of back someone is actually little, 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 little gestures, right? It's little gestures, but it's all you can do, you know, t uh, buying t-shirts, buying merchandise, you know, it's one way you can still support. In fact, we had tickets to various like festivals and whatnot, but they, um, you know, they, they were postponed till next year. So instead of canceling, just left the money with the, with the company so that they can then still roll that into next year. They don't have that, that sort of financial insecurity going into next year. Um, but again, I can, I can do that. Not everyone can do that. So I, again, I do consider myself um, lucky in that respect. I can, I can yeah. still support from a distance during this situation. So yeah, absolutely. And community is is really key. Um, not not just because you're working in this, you know, youth culture and, and marketing space, but I think across so many <laughs> so many aspects of our lives, people have kind of had this reckoning of what's actually important in their communities. And, you know, obviously switching gears, like another element of reckoning and reconsidering community has been around racial justice this year as well. Um, and I know on your website on Nerds, you've made a, a commitment to anti-racism and I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, it's important in the world, but I'm sure it has a lens on it in your sector as well. So can you talk to us a little bit about like what motivated that, um, the statement, what's coming out in your space and obviously a big question, but what's it like to be a white male at the moment in this, in this climate? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing is, um, for us, it was a, I guess like a no brainer to, to actually make a stance and, and make that overt because anyone who knows us, anyone who knows anyone who's worked with us or been part of our team over the years, um, knows how, important the kind of diversity pieces to us and i say that in the broadest term again it's like we talked about the code switching pressures you know the kind of like the feeling like you have to like really maneuver certain things to to fit in and yeah okay i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a white guy but i have had that experience so you know we've created a company created an environment where people should be able to be themselves and be celebrated for their talent and, um, and merit above anything else. So yeah, the, when everything kind of kicked in 
with, um, I guess, you know, Black Lives Matter is a very specific um, kind of pinnacle part of that. It made absolute sense to, to say, yeah, we back this because we do. And, um, and the, the statement really was, the, the, the sort of like the pledge was really to do with the fact that, um, you know, there's not many people who have a, as diverse um, and a kind of real representative team uh, in industry. And we felt like we should set an example here. You know, it's not to be big headed or anything like that. It's just to say there are certain things that we're going to do to make sure that like it's really clear that we're putting this front and center at the core of it. And it wasn't to say we're going to start doing this stuff. Yeah. It's more like, look, we've been doing stuff already. We don't need to talk about that. We don't feel that we need to um, dwell on that or, or kind of like protect ourselves by like shouting about that. It's just going to be going forward. We can do more. Mm. And that, the, the doing more was really the, the driver for the, for the, for the pledge. But what kind of actions does that include, particularly for other companies who are thinking like, as you're saying, it's, it's part of our DNA. We don't want on this line of not trying to virtue signal, but also wanting to make sure that like our clear intentions and the way we're already, you know, delivering as a business is, is out there. So what does that mean in terms of actions and behaviors and things that you do as a company? Yeah. I mean, in terms of what the pledge says, you know, it's about putting diversity at the core of your business in a, in a genuinely meaningful way. And, um, you know, again, we don't need to virtue signal, but you can ask anyone who's worked with us or is in the team, whatever you can, you can see what we represent just by looking at the makeup of the team. Then if you look at, um, you know, okay, from the outside looking in, we're like majority white ownership. Yeah. So two white guys and a, and a mixed race guy, but it's not about that. We wanted to say, cool, we will put um, diversity at the highest level. So that was another point that came up. It was a big discussion in the industry was great. There's openings and creation of diversity at lower levels, but then that's more fluid. Those lower level opportunities come and go, but actually what really is going to, um, make a real change is to work harder to unlock diversity at the highest level so that again there are leaders of a variety of shapes and sizes in the top that again can be relatable role models um and i'm very happy to say we've just um secured our uh, non-exec director that we we pledged to put in place so um and that is a that is a really positive um placement yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely. So it's about, as you say, representation and, and making sure that the that it's ingrained in who you are as people. Um, and so just about this point of like your own experience, obviously in the business, but as well just out in society, I my reflection is I see different men responding and reacting in different ways to this moment in time. Some are kind of, you know, clearly threatened, maybe feeling like they're at a loss um, and others are kind of seemingly embracing and kind of, you know, really leaning into equity for the opportunity that it, you know, we're all, you know, can see that it creates. So where do you fall on that? And and what's the, what's the outside in feeling any messages you receive from society and then what you feel sort of you're pushing back (laughs) to us? Yeah. It's difficult because again, I have a certain upbringing, a certain background and I know, um, I can understand a sense of fear in a certain respect. I don't, I don't, I can understand it. I don't, I don't support it. You know, I understand it. But what I say and what I'm about is, and what I've always been about even before this, it's like providing opportunities for people who wouldn't normally get that. Again, for the, you know, anyone who comes from a, let's call it like more of an underdog kind of perspective, it's like, you know, if you come from a certain background, regardless of your color or whatever, it's like there's, you have certain hurdles and you have, you know, and let's be real, the conversation is the fact that if you are black, you have a bigger additional hurdle to unlock opportunity. And I completely understand that. So I've always, wherever possible, um, engage with younger people coming up and saying, you know, in a, in a very loose mentoring kind of capacity, it's like meet up, share 
share contacts, share opportunities, share ideas, um, encourage, pep talk, you know, all of those things really contribute to um, having the confidence to take something forward. And, I, and I, yeah, I've just done that always. So in this moment right now, it's for me personally, only going to continue like that. It's not going to change. Um, I think there are, yeah, people who see this as a, um, a kind of worry point, you know, they're going to do some stuff like in a tokenistic way to just protect themselves. I, 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 you know, it's, it's hard because people are holding you accountable. You have to show that you're going to do something, but if it's not legit and you're not wholeheartedly behind that, then it's almost like it's going to part, like maybe that it's going to be there now and then it's not going to be there in, in yeah. a couple of months time. So I, I just, I just say sit tight and see what happens because really only those who really believe in what's going on are going to continue to do that. Yeah. Um, a lot too. of people will do it to just um, protect themselves or whatever. Um, so yeah. And I, again, I, I do understand that there's some quite fearful minds out there. Um, but again, that's only, that's really driven by insecurity anyway. So yeah. what it's like, there was always a threat. Now you've got a very specific focus for that threat. Maybe you're projecting in a different way, but there was always a threat to you not getting yeah. your next job or retaining a certain client. Or and if it's whatever. not this, it's something else. Yeah, as you said, <laughs> you can find a place to put that fear. If it's not putting it in women or putting it in black people or putting it in terrorists or whatever, you can find some kind of other bucket to <laughs> be, be scared of. I get that. Um, but if I reflect back to you, it sounds like just there's a sense of empathy of like as you said if if i felt that feeling of being an underdog and and it's the same position i come from as well as like being female okay even though i don't understand what it's like to be black i understand what it's like to be female and you know that there are invisible forces that you just sometimes can't put your finger on to say okay if i try to call this out it's going to sound who knows it might not land <laughs> but um but but you, you can know to just trust somebody else's experience without them having to fully be able to articulate it. Sometimes we don't have the words to say. It's just, like you said, having people around you who are empathetic to say, don't over-describe it, let's just act on it. Let's just piggyback each other in whatever way we can. So I like hearing the way you, you describe sort of giving people a leg up. Um, and, like, that brings us back to youth culture because, you know, you kind of mentioned Gen Z before and how socially active and aware they are. So part of me is thinking that maybe this next generation, I don't know, too much pressure to put on them. Sorry, everybody in Gen Z, but with each new generation comes new hope as well, right? That they have a different perspective or that they shift a, a, a you know, shift the tide. <laughs> so what, what insights do you have about this group that might reflect on, I guess, these key moments of Black Lives Matter and you know, COVID and the financial downturn as well. Like what does their future hold for them in terms of who they are and what they're bringing into this moment in time? Big yeah, <laughs> it's a massive question. Yeah, right? <laughs> tell yeah. us about the future, Brett. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but to be really honest, it's, I think um, there's a lot of generalised um, Gen Z understanding out there and I don't think it's particularly useful or helpful to, um, root down your understanding about a whole generation in like some, you know, kind of really simplified um, headlines or whatever. So yeah, good point. I would always say like, don't lean into that. It's like, yeah. how can we get closer to actually thinking person to person? Because actually that's really the only way you're going to work out if you can um, judge someone based on having a certain attitude or not, or be able to identify ways of helping them or not. You know, it goes back to that, you mentioned empathy. I think it goes back to that. It's about having empathy and being able to look through those generic terms and, and descriptors that are being thrown around out there and actually saying, who's this human being? And like, how can I actually, is this the right human being for us to be engaging with for our business or not? You know, and it's, it's really that it's, oh, it's very polarized out there as well. And I think that's something that people don't talk about. It's like, whilst um, we are, up here in business and in life and there's a whole new generation of you know people coming out of college and education and whatnot They're, they've been also very highly engaged in social media 
And social media, as we can see, is very adept at creating and influencing mm. mindset. Yeah. And you, know, you can see it in the recent um, American election figures. That is a very divided um, set of minds. Yeah. You know, and, and Gen Z are part of that. They are in both camps. They're on both mm. sides. They're not all uh, Republican or Democrat. They're, they're on both sides to different extremes because they come from certain backgrounds. Their, their homes are you know, fostering and nurturing a certain perspective. So I don't think that we can generalize about whether it's good or bad for Gen Z. I yeah. think we can only talk about the fact that they've been kind of left to um, their algorithmic uh, kind of bubbles. And that is really a problem. If you mm. don't understand that that's happening, there's no way you've bothered to look outside of it. So for me, it's like, there's an educated group of Gen Z that probably have an ability to say, uh, I'm, my, I'm, I'm me, but I also understand how other people are experiencing the world. And then there's a lot of kids who are going to be like, well, this is my world. And if you're not part of it, then I can't relate to you. Yeah. I think that's a real, that's the, that's really where the tension point is for me. It's like, how do you help kids who've been left to be in that bubble to actually have exposure Right, it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the conversation. Yeah. How can you create that exposure that broadens the picture, that broadens the sense of self, that broadens that idea of like what potential can be in the future? Yeah. And I think that right now, the social media point of it is kind of um, has eroded in a large portion of like the Gen Z community. It's eroded the um, the potential for young people to have a bigger picture. So interesting. Yeah, I, I like that you called me up on, you know, the, everybody's individuals and it, it's reductive to talk about people in terms of generations. Um, I think I felt that myself of being millennial and having so many projections of different, you know, the, the baby boomers and the, the Gen X before me kind of saying these, um, you know, upstarts <laughs> thinking they're going to change the world and all the things that were projected onto us. And then now, you know, in turn thinking about Gen Z in the, in the same way as a disservice, but to your point around social media, I mean, being, this is the first truly digital native generation. So yeah, I guess that can be a force for, I don't know, can it be a force for good and bad? I suppose it could be, but we're only really talking about the negatives at the moment of, of, as you say, those bubbles. So I wonder how that will impact when they come into the workforce, <laughs> where they get their information, what they're perceiving in terms of, yeah, like work, workplace culture, et cetera. So time will tell. We'll let them be human and, and recognise their unique experience for this generation as well. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for talking, like talking to, I know we've almost solved problems of the world. I feel like I go on such big arcs on these conversations, but I really appreciate it. Um, so I'd love to finish off with some rapid fire questions. Um, I will start the sentence and if you can just finish it with whatever uh, is of interest, uh, you know, kind of resonates for you. So I want my 102 year old self to know that. I did my best to see as much of the world as possible. Fantastic. The people in my household think that I... Work too much. <laughs> Are they right? Um, well, it's just me and my wife, so you'd probably ask her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I wish the world was talking more about. Access. Access to what? Yeah. Access, uh, exposure, that point that we talked about, you know, just, just the ability to um, develop empathy comes from access and exposure mm. and for me that's just that's just the basic i think that's a fundamental issue that we have right now and, you know our industry we talk about i'm in marketing everybody talks about it being about people and it's a people industry and it's all about empathy and then you look at the makeup of the industry and it's the lived experience of people in our industry and i just if you're talking about empathy it kind of feels inauthentic because mm. what kind of exposure have you had to the broad spectrum of those people who rep who make up the populace i just don't see it so mm. yeah more, more access and more exposure creates empathy and i think that's a that's a good starting point for a lot of potential positive moves yeah it's impossible not to recognize all the complexity 
or to care. Once you've walked in someone else's shoes, <laughs> it's hard to reduce it down once you've actually felt it. So I, I like that. Thinking about it in terms of access, access to, to information, insights, like just knowledge about other people's lives. Um, and then the final question is my guest to the next guest, my, my gift to the next guest is. I'm not sure how to answer that one, to be honest. What, what would not one normally say? <laughs> sometimes they say have fun. Sometimes they say, say answer as truthfully as you can because it's a nice exploration. Um, sometimes some of our guests have wished for, um, you know, just better year ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I would say um, my gift to the next guest would be, um, yeah, read a Toni Morrison book. Oh yeah, what That's is it? A good tip. Um, I just finished reading one called Tar Baby, and that was a that was a recommendation from a neighbour, and um, really powerful piece of literature. I'm not a big fiction reader, but it was um, it was something that yeah it was a very rich experience for me um, during lockdown. So nice, I like it. A book recommendation. I enjoy. It. I'll share mine back. I've just finished. Megan Rapinoe's book, which is uh, she's the uh, soccer, female soccer player who won the World Cup, the whole team, the US team winning the World Cup last year. And she was a big part of the um, Black Lives Matter taking a knee as well as um, getting equal pay for the female soccer players, football players, as you say. Um, and then I also just finished Sandman by, um, uh, I've forgotten his name, the same guy who did American Gods, Neil Gaiman. Um, which was much more fiction fantasy than what I'm used to, but it was a great kind of trip, just taking me away from reality. <laughs> not the reality is not not good. It's you know, it is what you well, make. We, yeah, but that's what we need right now, isn't it? A little bit of escapism. So if it comes in the format of a, a Neil Gaiman, then yeah, um, exactly. Sounds good. Take it where you can. Well, thank you. I'll let you go and have your evening. Hopefully, spend some time with your wife, considering how busy you <laughs> you are away from them, but fantastic speaking to you and I really appreciate the, the insights. So enjoy no the worries, day. Anne. Yeah, thank, thank you for having me. The real work wouldn't be possible without the contributions of our whole team here at Lantern Rouge. Production support is managed by Mark Hayes and our beautiful music is brought to you by Artlist. That's it for now. See you at work.